Let's read together from the Word of God. Turn with me to um, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. We're going to read from verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. familiar passage and behold two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs and they talked together of all these things which had happened and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre. And found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake And gave to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another. Did not our heart burn within us. While he talked with us by the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour. And returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven gathered together. 
and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Amen. We pray that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24 and the verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. Now that's my text for today. I've preached on it before. It's been laid in my heart all week, right from last Monday. I've searched in the porta cabin for the previous notes, thinking, well, I've got an easy time this week, Lord, and I couldn't find them. And I searched last night for an hour and a half, and I still couldn't find them. But the text was still there. The theme this morning is constraining Christ to abide with us. The greatest need of the hour. So you know the text this morning. There's the theme, constraining Christ to abide with us. The greatest need of the hour. Now, the Erasmus story is one of the best known and best loved in all of the Bible, probably apart from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Most professing Christians are familiar with the details. This incident before us is, of course, one of 11 post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus recorded in the Scriptures. And the history contained in Luke 24 well, it's not found in any other of the Gospels. The Erasmus story, I believe, is unique. Out of all the post-resurrection appearances of Christ, there's none so interesting or as detailed as this one. Here you have two of Christ's disciples, one of them's name called Cleopas. Most Bible expositors believe a man and his wife both eyewitnesses of the death of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. They had seen with their own eyes his crucifixion. They had watched in horror as his own life's blood ebbed away. They had watched the agony, the pain, and the woe that was written all over his face as he suffered on the cross. They saw the soldier come and plunge the spear into his side. After his triumphant cry, it is finished. They realized and appreciated that Christ was truly dead indeed. They observed the lifeless body being taken down from the cross, carried away for burial in the new tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And even though all these events, Christ's arrest, his unjust trial, his ignominious death had all been prophesied again and again in the Bible and told to Christ's followers and disciples, None of them really are fully understood or grasped any of these issues concerning his death or his resurrection. So when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, these two individuals who had witnessed his death and saw his body being taken from the cross and placed in the tomb, their whole faith collapsed in around them. Utter despair fell upon them. 
Soon after they began the lonely seven-mile journey back to the place where they lived. They lived in a little village outside of Jerusalem, seven miles, called Emmaus. Archaeologists have just found the place. You can read about it in Google. And after they're trudging along in the very depths of despair, with sadness on their face, suddenly they were joined by a stranger. The stranger began to talk with them. It probably talked to them like no stranger had ever spoken to someone new before. He began to question them in such a way that he revealed to them the state of their hearts and their mind. He knew about the way that they felt. He knew all about their circumstances. All was revealed and laid bare before the stranger. And then to their utter amazement, the stranger rebuked them for their thoughts, their attitude, and their behavior. Listen to what he said. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Dr. Luke tells us that the stranger began at the book of Moses and went right through the Old Testament, Genesis through to Malachi, and he gave to them the key that opens and unlocks the great truths of the Bible. He gave to them a demonstration. The central message of the Holy Scriptures was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he told them that this was the true message of God. And as he went through the Old Testament, they began to appreciate that he was literally implying that the one who died on the cross and the one who had rose again from the dead, that he himself was speaking to them. Notice verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now this would have been an unforgettable experience for these two disciples. Such a revelation must have lifted their heart, strengthened their faith, blessed their souls. And as time passed, their journey which had begun with such sadness and despair had, had, had quickly come to an end. The seven-mile journey probably took about two and a half to three hours. Emmaus was now reached. Home was in sight. And when they arrived home, this stranger who was unidentified and unknown to them, he made as if he would have gone further. That's what we read in the verse 28. He would have gone further. Notice verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he would enter tarry with them. At the table in the house, as they sat at meat, the stranger suddenly assumed the place of the host. He took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it. And the Bible says, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. The stranger disappeared. And immediately these two disciples, even though it was dark, returned to Jerusalem, full of joy to tell the news to the disciples that Christ was risen indeed. I want us to think this morning of this text. I want us to think of this theme of constraining Christ to abide. 
I've suggested to you already that it's the greatest need of the hour. That's true for us individually. It's not true for the church collectively. It's not true for our families. There, there's three things came to mind, and I, I wrote them down. The first is this, the request of the saints. It, it says, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Now, I believe this was a sincere request. This was not just a simple request to stay. When the stranger intimated that he would have gone further, the Bible says, but they constrained him. Now, the word constrained is a remarkable word. It's a very specific meaning, a very strong meaning in the Greek New Testament. It means to compel by use of force. It's only used one other place in the Bible, and that's in Acts 16, verse 15. Lydia, who was converted in Philippi, constrained Paul and Silas to abide or remain or stay or lodge in her house. So think of these two disciples. They held him by force. They took his arm. They held his hand. They put the arm around his shoulder. And they asked him to remain, to stay, to abide with them. We could ask the question, by what force was the Lord of glory constrained to abide in a mess? How was he compelled? What force could force the Son of God to do anything? And I put it to you this morning, there's only one thing. The sincere request of these poor needy souls. What did they say? Abide with us. They, they pleaded with him. They, they implored him. They, 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 they said to him, you must stay. We want you to stay. It was a cry from the heart. They earnestly wanted him to stay. In other words, he wasn't constrained by their faith. Because at this time they did not know who he was. They didn't constrain him by any promise from them. Because they were poor. He was constrained by their need of him. He was constrained by their felt need of him. They had a hunger for Christ. Think of this seven mile journey. Took two or three hours. On the journey he opened up the scriptures. He had already told them. Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, see, the Old Testament pointed these saints to Christ. Christ was presented as the scriptures was opened. Christ was being preached. See, the stranger believed all of the scriptures. Jesus Christ is to be found in all of the scriptures. And as the scriptures was opened, they testified later that they had experienced spiritual heartburn. Remember what they said. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. And now because of this spiritual heartburn, they had a hunger for more of Christ. We were singing there 
more about Jesus would I know? And I ask this question this morning. Do you and I have a hunger for more of Christ? Is that our daily thought? I need him and want him. Is that our weekly thought in coming to the house of God to learn more of Christ? See, people today hunger for excitement, entertainment, education. They even hunger for empathy. But do we have a hunger for Christ? Remember in John 6 we read, Many were offended by the word of Christ. He had told them, I'm the bread of life. He was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, spiritually, of course, by faith. But many among the disciples only had an outward profession. They were not hungering for him. And he asked them, will you also go away? And Peter's response was, to whom can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Here's Christ coming near that day. Christ himself voluntarily and sovereignly and preciously drew near. And Christ's presence was with them. And he led them through the scriptures. And he dealt with his own death on the cross. He dealt with his own resurrection to glory. And you see, what these two sad disciples needed was not a new message or a new method. They needed the old truths. They needed to be led and guided into the old paths. The thought was, more about Jesus would I know. This was a very sincere request, because they had a hunger for him to know more. I believe this was also a spiritual request. Think of this word, abide. It means remain, stay. You see, their hearts were open. They were hungry for him. And because Their hearts were hoping and hungry for him. Their hearts were welcoming him. Their their hearts had been touched by the ministry of Christ. And here's the heart responding with the grace and mercy of God. The preaching of Christ had touched and warmed their heart. Isn't that what happened to John Wesley in Aldersgate Street, 24th of May, 1738? He testified that his heart was strangely warmed. The preacher was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary in Romans. Isn't that what a true believer is? Someone whose heart has been touched by the grace and mercy of God. Whose heart has been warmed to to welcome Christ. John Wesley's heart was warmed. Strangely warmed, he said. In other words, he was born again of the Holy Spirit. He now had a heart for God that he never had before. And a heart for God means a love and a longing to see and to hear and to know more of him. Do we not live in a day when many deny Christ, many despise Christ, when many are departing from Christ, where they have no heart for him, no love for him? I asked this morning, is that a picture of you? You see, if you have no heart for Christ and no hunger for him, then you'll have no time or room for him in your life. And if you have no hunger and and heart for him and no room for him, then it's inevident that you're not a true believer. You've never bowed the knee. You've never saw your sin. You've never saw your need of soul salvation. You've never cried out like Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. Make me one of thine own. I asked this morning, "Do, do you have a heart for Christ? I believe this was a singular request. Think of the word, Abide. 
As I've said, it means remain, it means stay. They, they didn't want him to go. They physically, I believe, laid hold of the word with their arm or with their hand. I can just see them putting their arm around Christ. Please come in and stay here with us. But please tarry. You see, because they had a hunger for him and a heart for him, they opened their home to him. Isn't that a lovely picture? Having a hunger for Christ, a heart for Christ, and then a, a home for Christ. Is Christ in you this morning the hope of glory? Is your heart Christ's home? Is he its king? Does he abide? Do you know the reality that he's close by? That his presence is a felt reality? You see, the Lord Jesus always goes where he's welcome. And if you want to know more of him and want him to be with you, then then you have to welcome him. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 3, Abraham was sitting in his tent. Abraham was given by the grace of God a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Christ and two angels appeared in the plains of Mamre. Three men, Abraham sitting at the door of the tent. When he sees them, he runs to meet them. So there's haste. He bows down himself before them, the Bible tells us. So there's humility. And then there's hospitality. He offered them bread and food and meat and drink and water. He gave them the best. He he invited them to, to abide. Wasn't this lovely that we only know the name of one of the disciples, Cleophas? The other's unnamed, unidentified. For a long time, nobody knew where the village of Emmaus was. As I said, archaeologists have just believingly discovered it. Seven miles outside Jerusalem, a humble village. For, for many centuries, people said, but where is it? We go to Israel, we can't find it. And yet the wonderful thing is the Lord Jesus identified with his unnamed individual, this um, humble little village. And it was there that he revealed himself unto his disciples. The request of the saints. Very quickly, and it will be quickly. I want you to think of the reality of the situation. Notice in the text it says, For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Here was the real reason why they wanted the Lord to abide. It is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Now let me make a few suggestions this morning because I believe that applies to the congregation. The Church of Christ, and that includes the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster, we need to pray this prayer, Lord, abide with us. The hymn writer asked the question, where is our hope of survival Save in thy life-giving breath. And many today believe without divine intervention, without divine help, without seeing and feeling and knowing and enjoying the spiritual power and presence of the risen Christ, then the sun is going down on the true church. That the church has entered into the twilight years of Christianity. Let me suggest in North Africa, Augustine, 
One of the early church fathers in the 5th century, uh, a great minister of the gospel, a prolific writer, that would have been in Algeria. Well, you go to Algeria today and ask yourself, where's the church of Jesus Christ? There used to be a flourishing church there. Things were going well. And then the land was overrun by followers of Islam. And Christianity in Algeria today is almost wiped out. You see, let me make this clear. And this applies to the Free Presbyterian Church. Nothing is sure. We're not sure that we're going to continue forever and ever and ever. That's why we need to constrain the Lord to abide with us. That's why we need to make the request in light of the situation that we face. It is toward evening and the day is far spent. I believe this morning if you're unconverted in this church, you need to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know you're a sinner. You know you need to be saved. You know you've got a soul. Well, cry out like Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. But those who belong to the Lord also have a duty, a responsibility to cry and to pray, Lord, abide with us. Lord, grant us thy presence. Lord, grant us thy power. You see, today, parts of the Christian world are in the grip of apostasy. A grip of spiritual error. Did you know that in the time of the Reformation, the gospel came to Poland? And there was a large flourishing church in Poland. And then, of course, apostasy set in. Error, compromise, took the rise of Christ. Look at the spiritual makeup of Poland today. I'm led to believe it's predominantly Roman Catholic, almost 98, 99%. There's a land that was weakened by persecution. A land that was weakened by apostasy and error and compromise. Take, for example, the great land of Scotland. The land of Knox. Remember, Knox prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And the Lord answered prayer and gave him Scotland. But where's Scotland spiritually today in relation to that former time? 1904, when the uh, Welsh revival came with Evan Roberts. You, you think of the spiritual makeup of Wales at this time. You, you think of 1859 here in Northern Ireland. And then think of the spiritual makeup today. You see, the church is facing the ravages of religious apostasy and spiritual decline. And error and compromise has come in, secularization. You think of this threat, and it is a real threat of the imposition of same-sex marriage and uh, uh, the, the change that marriage is between a man and a woman. And you think about the uh, onset of abortion. And I'm, I'm speaking about those who are advocating this inside the so-called Christian church. And what is happening? Well, there's no longer a hunger for God. There's no heart for God. God really doesn't have a home in their heart. And the decline in spiritual influence, the decline in godliness, the decline in faithfulness to the scriptures, a decline in 
embracing and holding to the authority and accuracy of the Bible, a, 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 a decline in forsaking the Lord and the gospel and turning their back on him, a decline of charismatic movements, influence and ecumenical activity, resurgent Romanism. You see, spiritually the day is far spent. Spiritually the night has come. And we have a duty and responsibility to cry out, to pray, Lord, abide. Lord, remain with us. Lord, grant us thy presence. Lord, grant us thy help and power. We need you, Lord. And if we're going to be helped, folks, if we're going to be spiritually moved, if, 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 if anything's going to happen, then the Lord has to do it. Here's the reality of the situation. Do you know this applies to the family? Aren't these days, days of great trouble and trial and heaviness and sorrow for many families? Is, is this world not empty without the Lord? Do you think this morning of an empty house? No sound. It's cold. Not a footstep. It's an eerie place. Well, you see, let's remember that it's Christ who fills our lives. It's Christ who rejoices our heart. It's Christ that gives us gladness, even in the wilderness of life's situation. All is darkness without him. We need the Lord to defend us, to keep us, to comfort us, to cheer us, to hold us by the right hand of his righteousness, to, to carry us forward and upward, to present us one day before his heavenly Father. Satan is doing his worst. Antichrist is raging in the world. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. There's war, there's rumors of war. Um, th this is a day of political confusion and utter turmoil, a day of fear, a, a day when family breakdowns are in the, on the increase. And, and, and why? Because the Lord is not present as he should. The Lord has withdrawn himself. You know, that's the way it works. The, the Lord withdraws himself. And, and he withdraws himself until we're conscious of that. Until we no longer see and feel him. And, and then we begin to, to cry, Lord, have mercy. Lord, abide with us. Don't, don't withhold your mercy. Lord, we need you. Families need to pray this prayer, abide with us. We're under attack. Could I suggest as well, very quickly, let me apply it to the individual. You've heard of the hymn, we're going to sing it in closing. 608, Abide With Me. That um, tremendous hymn, Abide With Me, uh, was um, written by a man called Henry Francis Light. And um, he changed the word us to me because he felt that he wanted to reinforce the message of individuals needing a personal relationship with Christ, needing a, a personal companion in life's journey, someone who was with you in all the ups and downs of life. So I asked this morning, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? I want you to think for a moment of the reality of life. Trials and troubles come into our life. 
Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. We, we could talk literally about a day of trouble. A day of trouble comes to us all. And what do you do in a day of trouble? Well, well, you have to cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, remember me. Lord, grant me grace through this. And we'll face all kinds of trouble. Henry Francis Light, he was a minister in Devon. He was 54 when he retired. He was sick with tuberculosis. And three weeks after he retired from his little Anglican church in Devon, he, he was actually educated in Pretoria School in Enniskillen, by the way. He, um, he, he died and went into the Lord's presence. Three weeks after he had written this hymn, because it was presented on the very day that he retired from the ministry. Lord, abide with me. Did, did you know that the uh, composer of this hymn, the man who, who wrote the tune or the music, was a man called William Monk? And he wrote it sitting outside his house after burying his daughter at three years of age. And as the sun set and as the darkness deepened, he, he compiled the music. You see, a day of trouble comes to us all, all kinds of trouble. Illness, sickness, financial difficulties, marriage woes, children, problems. The Lord knows all about that. But you see, as an individual, then you need to pray, Lord, abide with me. What about the brevity of life? Is life not brief? Is it not like a vapor that's passing away? Don't waste your life. Moses prayed in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days. I would encourage you young people to live for Jesus Christ. Do, do we not see change and decay all around us? We need to get our eyes on the one who's unchangeable. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Death, sure. Death is certain. Do you know the old will face death someday? But do you know the young men may not face death, but death could come up behind them. Death could strike them in their side and take them away in their prime. Whenever Henry Francis Light died, there was two words in his mind, and it was this, peace and joy. John Wesley said the old Methodists used to die well because they died in Christ. And you know what? Hasn't death got a habit of changing the tune and the individual mindset of many young people? Many young people are heedless and careless about the things of God. They, they think, ah, I don't need the Lord. I don't need to bother with Christianity. And then death comes. And God speaks through death. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that actually pressed home that point. Encouraged the young people to think of the day of their death. And the day of their judgment before God. What about the necessity of life? You need grace. You need grace and mercy every day. How are you going to cope with the tempter's power? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your grace. Help me to overcome this temptation, whether it's to quit or, or some particular sin. Is it not a sign of spiritual health, even the fact that you're tempted, that, that you can go to God and ask for grace? And maybe you're here this morning and you want to quit. You're discouraged and you're fearful. And what do you need? 
You need grace. What about the battles of life? Is life not a battle? It's not a playground, young people. The, 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 Henry uh, Francis Tate wrote in, in that last um, um, four, verse 4, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. See, life's not easy. There's foes. Family, friends, work, university, school. There'll be many foes in those places. It's not easy to be a true believer today. And you need help and you need grace. And here's a prayer. In all the reality of life, with its brevity, its necessity, its battles, you can pray, Lord, abide with me. That's the reality of the situation. I want you to notice, and our time is gone, just the response of the Savior. It says in the text, and he went in to tarry with them. Isn't that lovely? There's an acceptance of the request, and he went in to tarry with them. He went in to abide. He went in to remain. He fulfilled exactly what they asked him to do. Here was his response to their request. They're facing this real situation. He tarried with them. And you know what the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster needs? We need to see and know the reality of the Lord's presence amongst us. Above all else, if we're going to see souls converted, backsliders restored, these seats filled up, then we need to pray, Lord, come and abide in carried off. Come and abide in this congregation. Come and abide amongst us, Lord. Above all else. I want you to think of his reaction that day in the house. Because the Bible says there, If you look at it very carefully in verse 30, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Do you think of that? The guests become a host. You imagine getting somebody into your house and you're giving them a meal and they start serving you. That's exactly the picture here. The guests became a host. He took control Because he's the Lord of glory. He's king of kings. He's always the one in charge. Think of his appearance. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. When he gave them the bread, they seen the wounds in his hands. He was known to them, the Bible says in verse 35, in the breaking of bread. Here's the response. He accepted this request. He took action among them that he was in charge. And he appeared before them as the risen, crucified Lord. I pray this morning, even though I never found the notes and don't know what I preached on in that previous sermon, that we'll make this a prayer. Lord, abide with us.